Hello and welcome to a new episode of Chipping Away, where your hosts Akash and Durga take you on journeys of South Asia, its history, archaeology, art, and everything around it. Today we'll be talking about heritage. Recently, on 18th of April, we celebrated World Heritage Day. World Heritage Day is a day wherein, well, as it says, we celebrate our heritage. What is heritage? That's a million-dollar question, Akash. We use the term heritage. quite often in our daily speech may it be in connection to talking about culture religion archaeology anthropology but heritage simply put is something that can be passed on to later generations something like a heirloom something that really celebrates the roots and past of a people that can be both tangible or intangible something that can be touched felt or tactile or something that is without form that's true So anything and everything that can be inherited and passed on is considered heritage and in order to celebrate this heritage not only of a particular place or particular group but of humanity as a whole ICOMOS which is the International Council for Monuments and Sites proposed to celebrate World Heritage Day on 18th April in 1982 after it was attested and ratified by the member nations from 1983 onwards 18th April is annually celebrated as World Heritage Day and as we previously mentioned heritage can be broadly divided in two aspects the tangible and the intangible tangible forms of heritage are something that can be touched collected or interacted with something like ceramics textiles paintings monuments buildings frescoes and so on and intangible aspects of heritage are those which are passed on through oral histories in the form of songs dances performances or something that cannot be touched felt or collected as objects true and what happens is that when we have these objects which is a tangible heritage we can collect and store them in various places for example most of us at home might have these heirlooms that are handed over to us by our grandparents our parents and others that have some important meaning for them some of us also go around and collect stamps and coins which can be from various times various places and we take interest in them these are also various aspects of our heritage so tangible heritage because of the fact that it has a form and it can be directly passed from one person to another or from one generation to another can have a physical form which can be stored in space so places such as libraries archives museums are places that house these kinds of tangible heritage ever since people started writing and started making books there have been libraries so there is another important question what came first the library or the book some of our oldest libraries we find recorded in mesopotamia and also in egypt one of the most important libraries of ancient egypt the library of alexandria is even mentioned in some of these ancient greek scholars and in south asian context ancient libraries such as at vikramshila nalanda attached with the ancient universities are recorded in historical record some of the libraries don't exist but some continue to exist from medieval or early medieval period such as saraswati mahal in tanjore or other private collections at the royal families in rajasthan hyderabad and other princely states many of us have been to museums and there are various types of museums the most common type of museum is something that we are familiar with those are archaeological and historical museums wherein various aspects of our cultural past and heritage are preserved 
So the museum's catering to historical and archaeological collections in South Asia and beyond generally pertain to some thematic collections or collections from a certain era or period or civilization that is showcased in the museum collections. Famous museums that cater to archaeological and historical heritage are those of the Louvre in Paris or the British Museum in London. As you can see, a rich legacy of colonialism has led to the concentration of some important cultural artifacts in these Western European countries. Despite this, we still have a few prominent museums within South Asia, such as the National Museum in New Delhi, the Indian Museum in Calcutta, and the Chhatrapati Shivaji Maharaj Vastru Sangralaya in Bombay, or as it's more commonly known by all of us, the Prince of Wales, Bombay. Just by calling it the Prince of Wales, we still record and refer to the colonial legacy that these museums and antiquarians that collected this cultural heritage leave behind. Apart from that, we've also covered and discovered various other museums through our International Museum Day specials in our previous seasons. So check them out too. It is also very interesting that we go back to the sort of colonial past through the place names and building names, which is an interesting interaction of the intangible and tangible aspects of heritage. Because although that is the kind of heritage we are trying to move away from, we cannot not acknowledge that as a part of the collective legacy that we are born into and carry forward. Yes, you do bring up an important point. Names both of places and people are important, especially when we look back at the past. Intangible heritage, because of the fact that there is no form to it in terms of its physical nature, leaves behind a very difficult record to trace. Only later on time, once we have writing, does various aspects of intangible heritage leave behind a physical form. These, in the form of books, later on become more popular after printing is first invented in China and later on the Gutenberg printing press in Europe pushes books to be more commonplace. So until then, books and writing were the privy of a select few. So if you're going to fall back on these small elements to trace back our rich intangible heritage, there are bound to be some limitations. That's an excellent point. Sometimes we favor written material over non-written material because that is the only tangible aspect of heritage that we could fall back on. But what we forget is that is a case study in itself rather than a representation of the general audience or general society present at that period. So if we look at autobiographical or biographical literature from Mughal India, Aine Akbari, which was authored by somebody on the life of Akbar, and Babar Nama, which was authored by Babar himself, present stark differences in the way a king's or a ruler's life is represented. That is not to say one was more authentic than the other, or one was truer than other, but those are just two views to look at a ruler's life. And if we can extrapolate this on a social level or on a more generic level, Various iterations of the epic Ramayana and Mahabharat in South Asia in different regions vary markedly with the insertion of new characters, with the kind of performative tradition that develops around the epic, and the ways in which songs, regional dances are also composed to cater to the narrative that is within these epics. And speaking of Ramayana in particular, in some iterations, Ram is heralded as the god-king or the deified character of the story. While in some other versions, other characters such as Ravana and Vibhishana are epitomized as the hero archetype. 
That's true. So this conversion or transitioning of the intangible to the tangible leads to some transmission loss. This sometimes lead to concepts of standardization or generalization because one aspect of this intangible heritage is preserved in a tangible form while other aspects and renditions are lost either through the pages of time or because history is written by the victors. And as we also recently discussed with Scott in our last two episodes, we also end up projecting our present onto the past. For example, in prehistoric times, we believe that man was the hunter and woman was the gatherer. But nowhere is it recorded in the archaeological record that only men hunted and only women gathered. It is a result of much later writing, maybe from the last 100-150 years, wherein this concept of men having to go out of the house and women having to stay indoors has led to this idea of our prehistoric past, which was not true. That's a great point. And using the modern sensibilities to understand the past, we can go a step further and also acknowledge that just one thread of thought or one understanding of the artifact, may it be tangible or intangible, is not the holistic representation of what the past societies were like. It is very much like the story of the blind men and the elephant, where the blind men are the archaeologists trying to touch different parts of the elephant, trying to piece together what the animal really looks like. In this case, the elephant being our collective past. That's true. And another aspect that we look at is when we look at the past is that we tend to focus only on us as humans. So this anthropocentric aspect of heritage results in a very myopic view. All that we spoke about, tangible and intangible aspects, are basically aspects of cultural heritage related to us as humans. There is something beyond this, especially when we are trying to piece together our past. And that is the environment that we are in. That is our natural heritage. So natural heritage consists of various components such as the plants, the animals, the forests, the landscape, the oceans, the rivers, everything that makes up the natural and physical world on which we humans are just a small part of. Because of this myopic view, in our march towards human civilization and development, what we've done is tread on this natural heritage that we have. We have to actively try and preserve and conserve this because without our environment, culture cannot exist. Well said. And for the conservation and preservation of natural heritage, humans have set up sanctuaries or protected grounds, reserves, and so on, where natural heritage can thrive on its own accord without human intervention. And this is something we see also in the past, wherein regions were established and demarcated as sacred groves or, you know, important holy sites, wherein people would not go and disturb the natural environment, its structures and its processes. And on the broader level of conserving heritage, government and nodal agencies such as the Archaeological Survey of India, Anthropological Survey of India, Linguistic Survey of India come together to preserve the tangible and intangible aspect of heritage by declaring certain areas as nationally protected monuments or sites or in case of languages certain languages are given special status for their preservation and conservation so that this heritage can be enjoyed and passed down to generations to follow apart from these agencies that preserve cultural heritage we also have other governmental agencies such as the department of forests and conservation which demarcate important zones as wildlife sanctuaries and nature parks at the international level 
UNESCO, which is the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, which is a specialized agency of the United Nations, aims at promoting global and international heritage by declaring various sites and regions as World Heritage Sites. India, on its own, has 40 such World Heritage Sites. 32 of these are cultural heritage sites, which include some of our most famous monuments, such as the Taj Mahal or the Ajanta and Elora Caves or Bimbetka in Madhya Pradesh. And there are seven which are natural heritage sites, which include the Kaziranga National Park and Sundarbans, as well as the Valley of Flowers National Park as natural world heritage sites. So as you can see, there are various national and international organizations as well as various individuals and groups that try and preserve our cultural and natural heritage to ensure that there is more that can be inherited by our future generations. So which of the cultural heritage sites have you visited? And which ones would you like us to talk about more? Do let us know in the comments on our socials or shoot us an email at chipinawayind at gmail.com. Let's keep the conversation going on heritage, its tangible and intangible forms, and what excites you about cultural heritage of South Asia and beyond. And speaking of cultural heritage, museums and libraries, Museum Day is coming up. So stay tuned for our museum special, which will be out in a matter of 15 days. So till then, keep chipping away. soon and until then keep chipping away bye bye chipping away is available on all major streaming websites such as spotify apple and google podcasts and so on so go ahead subscribe wherever you feel comfortable or you can just log in to buzzsprout and check out chipping away we have a new episode coming up every fortnight that is after every 15 days so twice a month each episode comes with a new theme new points for discussion, and something for us to take back and ponder on. So join us in our journey of understanding our collective past better and to question the existing and new theories and models that we encounter every so often. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChipinAwayIND and drop us a line about your comments, inputs, and what you would like to hear from us at chipinawayind at gmail.com. In this current environment of chaos, uncertainty, and a lot of tension that surrounds us with the pandemic, impending lockdown, and other restrictions, let Chipinaway be your little moment of recluse from the world around you. Help us make this little movement a little more better by reading the blog posts that go with our podcasts and other discussions online and offline. For the blogs, you can check out www.klmighty.com that is K-A-L-E-M-I-G-H-T-Y dot com. We have all the links in the description for our podcast and you can check it out online on Google, Spotify and other major streaming sites. So, see you again in a matter of 15 days with a new topic, a new theme, and something new to pick your brain with. Till then, 
keep chipping away stay safe and take care bye bye